Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. In this episode, Doug shares on the importance of praying and engaging in elections, reminding us that our constitutional republic and democracy will only survive if we hold on to the core values of our constitutional rights and freedoms. You don't want to miss this short but truth-filled podcast. After the episode, consider leaving a review and follow us on your favorite streaming service. If you've gleaned anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. Bear with me as I set the tone for what I believe is a consequential time for the church and for the soul of a nation. I believe there's an importance in praying and engaging in elections that has far more significance and consequence than that of the recent Major League Baseball World Series, as exhilarating and exciting as it was, or any other sporting event for that matter. I've heard it said, and agree with this statement, America did not create religious liberties. Religious liberties created America. You see, our constitutional republic and democracy will only survive if we hold on to the core values of our constitutional rights, freedoms, and liberties. These rights are not just for those we align ourselves with, but also for those we may strongly disagree with or disagree with us. As an American of Asian descent, I'm extremely grateful for all the sacrifices made for my rights and for all the constitutional rights that have been afforded to me and my family. The First Amendment to the United States Constitution is part of the Bill of Rights and protects core American civil liberties. The right to freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of press, peaceful assembly, and freedom of expression. Unfortunately, there are ideologues and elitists who care more about their own ideas, their politics, being self-absorbed, and their aspirations than they do care about the people they claim to care about. And sadly, freedom of religion is becoming more like the freedom from religion. And too often, more specifically, it's becoming the freedom from our Judeo-Christian faith. I remember being in a communist nation that once prided themselves as being a truly Marxist state. At the time, the average monthly income was equivalent to about U.S. $25 to $30. While we were there ministering, there was a company that came in from another country to start doing business there to create jobs with plans to hire over 100 local people. After hiring quite a few, the government officials came in and nullified many of those that had been hired because they were not members of the right party, the Communist Party. I've been to dozens of nations over the years, including the aforementioned communist and other socialist states. What we have may not be perfect here in this country, but at least we have a constitutional foundation that gives us rights and freedoms to work with, and that others around the globe still wish they had. Silencing those who think for themselves or have a different thought means we no longer have true freedom of expression and speech. It's interesting how we're now seeing selective censorship and selective freedom of speech in our country. Ultimately, we will all suffer the consequences of this kind of control, manipulation, and thinking. You see, once we give up our freedoms, it's difficult to get them back. It is better to maintain our freedoms than to try to reobtain what we have lost. See, I believe God is shining a spotlight on us. I remember that William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said in the late 1800s, I consider that the chief dangers which confront the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, 
and heaven without hell. Wow, what a prophetic statement when we consider where we are today. Our nation is at a critical juncture and crossroads on many, many fronts. If our nation's broken cisterns and foundations are to be fixed, then we, the church, must waken our hearts and get back to our spiritual moorings and biblical principles. You see, regardless of our personal, political, philosophical, religious, or ideological beliefs, we must awaken to the reality that our foundations and freedoms are under attack, affecting all of us. Where are the lovers of truth and the voices of conviction today? John Calvin put it this way, A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. I do believe the Lord is shining the light of the Holy Spirit upon us all and His church, searching out the dross and rubbish in our lives and to purge and refine us in preparation for the days ahead. I believe the Lord is searching throughout the church with lamps of this Holy Spirit and marking those who are settled in compromise and complacency. I'm reminded of this when I read Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 12, when it says, Go through Jerusalem with lamps and find those who have been settled in complacency and mark them because they've compromised their convictions, so to speak. Well, likewise, we in the church today, I believe, have become cowardly in many ways. We're afraid to speak the truth in love season with grace because we're afraid of what the world will say about us. We will never become friends with the world because it's an enmity with God. So in one regard, the Lord is saying, expose compromise and complacency. Let the light of the Lord shine upon it, spotlight it. On the contrast to that, we see that God is also searching out and marking those who are weeping for all the detestable things that are going on, Ezekiel 9 verse 4. The book of Jude also shows us that there would be a spiritual battle going on and that there would be an increase of apostasy, false teachers and teachings, an increased attack on the church and even on God and His Word. And we see that even more today. In these days of increasing apostasy and false teaching, those who love God's truth will not be liked for speaking the truth, even when it sees them with grace. But this cannot stop us from the work of the kingdom in which we are called to, speaking His word and sharing His love at the same time. We cannot be discouraged by what we see around us, retreating into our holy huddles and disengaging from a world that so desperately needs to see our light shine brightly. You see, to compromise our moral and biblical convictions is to sell our very birthright and spiritual inheritance for a morsel of flesh like Esau. You see, courageous leadership does not acquiesce to public opinion or what is popular at the time for personal benefit or gain. It does, though, with sensitivity and compassion, adheres to a love for truth and personal convictions. We must be fully prepared mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. We must be fully engaged with our eyes fixed ahead and our hands to the plow, ready to work in the harvest fields that is white unto harvest. Let us put aside distractions. Let us put off discouragement, which I've shared in the past is like a powerful drug. No more double-mindedness or doubting. We as Christians must keep our eyes on the Lord and our hearts and minds guarded, lest we become disillusioned or even bitter thus being distracted from God's destination for all of us. And we miss the very opportunities to reflect the kingdom of God in a world of divisiveness, fear, lawlessness, and confusion. There is an unseen spiritual battle going on, and we are seeing the manifestations in the natural all around us. One of the biggest challenges I see in our society today is the lack of civility and character we display in our disagreements, even in the church. 
I've seen so many people who are so adamant and opinionated, politically and otherwise, that they allow their preferences to divide their families, their friendships, and even their churches. It's painful and heartbreaking to see, especially from those representing Christ, on both sides of any political preference or spectrum or aisle. The only unshakable kingdom is the kingdom of the Lord, and we, the church, must still love one another in our disagreements if we are to help others find their place in the kingdom. John thirteen thirty five says, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. How can we lead others to a relationship with God if we can't even get past our own differences? If we are to see hope for the future and any lasting change, we need to all look at the inward corruption of our own individual hearts, then recognize and discern our corporate public consequences. You see, a church united is needed for a nation divided. Only a church united can bring hope and healing to a nation divided. Regardless of whatever variance of points of view politically many of us may have, may the church find unity even in our diversity, so we can be a plumb line of healing and hope within a culture of so much division. We must walk in Christ-likeness, crossing racial, denominational, and political barriers to be a part of something greater than ourselves. See, there are spiritual laws, natural laws, moral laws, and civil laws. And without these laws, especially spiritual and moral laws, we open the door to lawlessness and anarchy. Choices always have consequences, regardless of how much we may try to excuse or justify them or even legalize them. While I was reflecting on and pondering some of the historical examples in Israel that are lessons for the church and our nation today, I came across an article from Watch Jerusalem in November 2019. It addressed similarities of the political and spiritual climate in Israel prior to the conquest by Rome and ultimately the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD to that of today. Josephus was a first century Jewish historian who witnessed the tragedy of the destruction of Jerusalem and the desecration of the temple. And he wrote that the Jews turned their hands on one against another. Divided families, towns, and communities were in conflict. He witnessed the political divisiveness and the spiritual division from within that gave away to attack from without. The political and spiritual divisions and fighting in Israel caused instability and weakening. And ultimately, in 66 to 70 AD, Rome conquered Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. I believe in uncanny similarity we see today the political divisiveness and the church being divided by external and outside influences that is causing instability. This is why I personally sense the urgency to pray for the church to get the wisdom of God, the discernment of God. We need the atmosphere of His presence if we are going to see the transformation that we've been praying for and we need. We need a transforming revival. While there is so much infighting amongst us in the church and lived out in public, We are in danger of being a divided kingdom, so to speak. With the advent of social media, we have come into a new era of opportunities to disseminate information. Unfortunately, there has also been a plethora of exaggerated, skewed, and even false information that has opened a Pandora's box of misinformation and rumors that have bred division, animosity, misinformation, and mistrust. Now listen to this. The Watch Jerusalem article continued and said, Josephus wrote that disagreement became so sharp it split apart families. There was also a bitter contest between those who were fond of war and those that were desirous for peace. At the first, this quarrelsome temper caught hold of private families who could not agree amongst themselves, after which those people that were the dearest to one another 
broke through all restraints with regard to each other. Tensions intensified, civil unrest increased, society became unstable and lawless. Seditions arose everywhere, Josephus wrote. Jews gathered together in bodies in order to rob the people of the country. These armed mobs ransacked towns, looted storehouses, and pillaged the countryside. Does this sound familiar to what we've seen the last few years? Listen to this quote about John Wesley and his mother. John Wesley once asked his mother, How do you define sin? And she said, Son, whatever weakens your reasoning, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, and obscures your sense of God, takes away your relish for spiritual things. It seems today that our reasoning is weakened, our tenderness is impaired, our sense of God is obscured in all the noise pollution around us, verbal jargon and rhetoric. In fact, it seems we become seared of conscience, as Scripture says, thus depleting our relish for spiritual things. Our life is filled with life experiences that actually influence our optics or how we see things. Our personal life experiences, our race, religion, and relationships are all factors that influence our perspectives and optics and our ideologies. In turn, our preferences are easily influenced by and filtered by those ideologies. May our ideology instead be defined by and based on God's character, word, nature, and spirit. As followers of Christ, it's imperative that we surrender our personal preferences and personal beliefs and ideologies for the ideologies of God's kingdom, not man's. The kingdom of God is built on relationships, first with God, then with one another. May we be reminded to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and to reflect Christ-likeness to others that we may not even agree with or who may not even agree with us. This being said, I do have personal convictions to seek the Lord and to respond by principle rather than by preference. It is clear to me throughout Scripture regarding what pleases the Lord and what breaks His heart. A look at Isaiah chapter 1 gives me a glimpse at this. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 11 through 20 says, God doesn't even regard our raising of our hands to pray, our gatherings or conferences or get-togethers, our numerous prayers, our sacrifices, etc., etc., because we have allowed the shedding of innocent blood overlooked justice, and neglected the orphan and the widow. Our prayers are not heard, he says, because your hands are covered with blood. In other words, the shedding of innocent blood. Therefore, wash and cleanse yourself, he says. Remove your sinful deeds. Put away your evil doings from before my very eyes. In other words, he says, stop sinning. In other words, cease to do evil. Learn to do right. Promote justice. Give the oppressed a reason to celebrate. Take up the cause of the orphan. Defend the rights of the widow. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19 says to choose life. He says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. I wonder how much of that corporately he is speaking to his church because he judges his church first before he can heal the soul of a nation. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19. God is giving us the answer. If we are a people of life and Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly, and he's the way, the truth, and the life, how then can we be a people who are cursing instead of blessing, who are allowing the shedding of innocent blood from the womb to the tomb? Personally, I value what I believe our biblical principles of life, the sacredness of marriage, and the protection of our liberties and freedoms. 
If we no longer value life in the womb, then we will no longer value life that is deemed less worthy to some, such as those who may have physical or mental limitations and those who have entered their golden years. It's time for personal soul-searching and a corporate heart awakening in the church if revival is going to come to the nation. And that revival will come by choice, circumstance, or consequence. Better to have a heart awakening than a rude awakening. All kingdoms, principalities, and rulerships are subject to the preeminence of Christ Jesus, it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 18. But it's his intention in Ephesians 3.10 to give the manifest power and wisdom and authority to and through the church. For those who have an ear to hear, let me share some thoughts about the reform of Josiah from 622-623 B.C. I won't go into the whole story, but you know of King Josiah. And when he recognized how out of order things were, he legislated the law into the land again. But one of the things that Jeremiah and Zephaniah, who were contemporaries, recognized about this good thing to call righteousness back where righteousness needed to be, set a standard for the nation. But here's what Zephaniah believed, that lasting reform and change would only happen when the inward corruption of the heart was dealt with. He said it would not last. These new laws would not last unless we are honest and deal with our own hearts individually and corporately. A few years ago, I found that the introductory commentary of the book of Zephaniah in one of my old Bibles, I found it to be revealing to where we are today as well. It reads, During Judah's hectic political and religious history, reform comes from time to time. Zephaniah's forceful prophecy may be a factor in the reform that occurs during Josiah's reign, a revival that produces outward change but does not fully remove the inward heart of corruption which characterizes the nation at the time. Zephaniah would hammer this home in his message repeatedly. In fact, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 1 through 9, and I'll break it down like this, says, Her princes in her midst are roaring lions, verse 3. Her judges are evening wolves that leave not a bone till morning, verse 3, part B. Her prophets are insolent, treacherous people, unprincipled people, verse 4. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. That's verse 4, part B. Now here he is addressing the princes, the judges, the prophets, and the ministers of the day. But I want to address just for a moment, her priests have polluted the sanctuary. When we look at Zephaniah again, and he says that take the lamps throughout Jerusalem and expose those or put a light upon those who are complacent or compromised. I see that today that God is about to shake his church in greater measure. I'm not trying to come against the church. I love the church. I'm a part of the church. But I believe one of the things that really breaks God's heart is temple prostitution we see throughout scripture. And what we have done is we've prostituted ourselves in the culture of the day. And ultimately, I believe it's because we've lost the reverential respect and fear of God and His Word, even as ministers. In an article that I published back in 2004, and I find some striking parallels today in 2022, I said that there were three primary things that would hinder God's blessing from our nation. One was ritual or temple prostitution. That's where the church has prostituted the holy and sacred things of God to become relevant with the culture rather than impacting the culture. Number two, the shedding of innocent blood. Number three, licentiousness 
or moral looseness. We've seen all these things prevalent today. In our institutional Christianity, we have prostituted ourselves by choosing to live by preference rather than by conviction. We have allowed life in the womb to be attacked mercilessly, with innocent blood being shed on the altars of profit and convenience. As we've strayed from God's written definition of marriage between a man and a woman, and then the abandonment of our morals has now opened the doors even wider for an attack on the church. As we find ourselves fighting like never before to defend our religious liberties, we must counter these attacks, but at the same time display God's love to those who may oppose us. Much like America today, Nineveh was also racing down a path of self-destruction. If the Ninevites did not change their ways and repent of their sin, God determined to destroy them. In Jonah chapter 1 verse 1, the Lord tells Jonah, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Jonah was tasked with an important objective and warned the city of Nineveh to repent or face God's wrath. Unfortunately, Jonah fell prey to two very human tendencies or desires, a desire to remain in his comfortable circumstances and the desire to be liked by everyone. It's pretty easy to draw parallels between Jonah's story and what's happening in our nation and churches today. Nineveh closely resembles America, a land of people unaware of and indifferent to God's word. Jonah represents the complacency that has taken hold of the church and Christians have created comfortable surroundings where we are liked and respected by those we know, where we don't often come in contact with people who believe differently. But the time for complacency is over. America's actions demand that the Christians speak up and lead it back to the Lord. If the church decides to flee the spiritual battle it now faces, America will continue down its current path and undoubtedly draw the displeasure of the Lord. In many ways, we today, the church, are like Jonah, reluctant to speak the truth in love, seasoned with grace, but speak the truth nonetheless. And Nineveh is much like the atmosphere of a sinful nation in which we live today. Too many of us Christians in the church today, we compromise the truth or choose silence for fear of being labeled politically incorrect. Covering up or ignoring destructive issues of the heart only allows them to fester and wreak more havoc in the long run. God is calling for courageous voices in the church to speak once again to our nation. He is calling for people who care more about others than they care about themselves. Rather than running away from what God is saying in this Nineveh moment, we must run toward what He is saying and be the examples He is calling us to be. Will we speak the truth in holiness and grace so we can see God relent in the land? Or will we turn the other direction? As I mentioned earlier, the Holy Spirit, I believe is setting light or lamps upon the church. For judgment starts in the house of the Lord, looking for those who are settled in compromise or complacency, revealing places where we are trampling the spirit of grace and no longer respecting the spirit of holiness. We've profaned the holy things of God. We have become temple prostitutes. In Ezekiel 43, verse 6 and 7, we read, Then I heard him speaking to me from the temple, while a man stood beside me, And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. No more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name. They nor their kings by their harlotry or the carcasses of their kings on their high places. 
He continues in verse 8 and he says, In their setting of their thresholds by my threshold, and their posts by my posts, and the wall between me and them, they have even defiled my holy name by their abominations that they have committed. Wherefore, I have consumed them in my anger. God gives us careful instructions on how to serve and worship Him, but often we choose to do things our own way. It's almost a mirror image, but it's not from God. When Moses was getting the blueprint for the tabernacle, consider what would have happened if others were listening in and wrote down exactly what God was saying to Moses and how to build the tabernacle. They could have gone out and built exactly what they heard God saying to Moses, thinking he would bless it. But God is not obligated to anoint what merely mirrors him. He's only obligating himself to anoint what he specifically directs. We need today prophetic voices to arise. We need the Samuels and we need the Esthers and the Deborahs to arise. This is our culmination moment. Don't give up. Don't draw back, but push forward. Don't compromise your biblical convictions. Don't forget where you've come from. We all need the grace of God, the abounding, great and amazing grace of God. Yes, we're at a critical juncture, but no matter what happens in the season ahead, there's still a long view and need for the church to be engaged and positioned to bring in and be a part of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our time. As I said earlier, that we need an outpouring of God's presence, a transform revival in this nation and around the world, but it's going to come by choice or consequence, by choice or by circumstance. I pray that we would get back to our biblical moorings, get back to our personal convictions and realize that we are nothing without the Lord. We need the presence of God. We need the reverential fear of the Lord in our lives. I'm not talking about being afraid of God in the sense that we are afraid of every little thing that we do is wrong, but I'm talking about this reverential respect for God, the holiness of God that allows Him to do a work in us so He can do a work through us, that we would not compromise the convictions of God, the biblical principles and foundations by which we were born again. Let's get back to the centrality of the cross. Remember, those who tell the story define the narrative and create the history. We have the greatest story to tell because we've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. What's the narrative we want presented by our story? What is the history we want to see created as we define the narrative today in a world so messed up? It's our moment. Don't let the enemy divide and conquer us, but let us recognize we're part of something greater than ourselves. It's time to mend our nets so we can be cast by the Lord and bring in a great harvest. Let us continue to pray and engage in every sphere of the culture, but don't let the culture influence us. Let us bring the presence and the culture of the kingdom of God into the culture in which we live. We're not of this world, but we live in it. Remember, we are ambassadors for Christ. We live in this world, but we are to represent the kingdom of God. We're not here giving our message, but what is the message of the kingdom? What is God's word in us and through us? Don't forget where you've come from. I remind myself every morning in my prayer time, I never want to forget where I've come from. When I was nothing, the Lord did something in my life. How easy we forget in the journey of life. And somehow we think we deserve the accolades. We deserve all the successes. We're nothing without the Lord. There is nothing without the Lord. As the Lord sheds his light on our lives, let us not be found in compromising our convictions or biblical convictions, but let us be those 
who recognize the detestable things even in the house of the Lord and let us cry and weep over those things. May we be broken at the state of where we are so that God can do a healing in us and do a work through us. Wisdom and might are his, the word says, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. Now, Lord, here's my prayer based out of Acts chapter 4, verse 29 through 33. Now, Lord, would you grant boldness that we may speak your word with authority and by your power? Would you stretch out your hand to heal? Let signs and wonders be done through your holy name, Lord Jesus. May you grant your great power to give witness to the work of the cross and the power of your resurrection, and that your great grace would be upon your people. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.